So settling into your meditation, whatever your plans for your session are today, metta, mindfulness of the breath, spacious open awareness. We'll just, we're just making space here for one more collective group, silent, stationary, sitting, Uh, not just sitting, stationary meditation. And I'll ring the bell at the end.
Good morning, family. Let's just take a moment to kind of come out of our, the sweetness of that particular practice period. And maybe just do a little stretching in your seat for a moment, taking a deeper breath. And we're gonna get started in just a second here. Talk a little bit about integration and then some instructions there. to put myself on gallery so I can see all your faces there. Great. So I'm going to talk a little bit about, um, how's my sound? Is it good? Is it okay? Great. I'm going to talk a little bit about integrating back from retreat. I know many of you have already had so much retreat experience and some are new to retreat. And this is very different too because of this platform we're on. And I just want to kind of share a little bit just about not whether it's whether you have been at a retreat center where you have been in total silence or you have been on other Zoom type of retreats. All of them are different, but one of the things that they share in common is that we're all entering back into a lived life. The challenges of maybe work or the blessings of work at this time, family, all the things that are really, that happen upon us. And I just wanna share a little bit of my own experience about how I have really walked through those periods of returning, returning back from retreat into my lived life. And one of the things that have been really important to me is that I first just enter very slowly. I'm very, very intentional about being tender with myself. That I don't have to do anything at a breakneck speed. I don't have to go to the grocery store at a breakneck speed. I don't have to do any of that because what it requires is for us to come out of a state of a calmer mind, a really rested body. And at some point we will, of course, but there's a way in which we can do it with much more ease and grace and mindfulness. We can bring our full attention to this kind of transition back. When I've been on longer retreats, 
one of the first things I try to do is make sure that I connect with my beloved and those people who are around me who I may have been somewhat separated from. Oh, that I may have been somewhat separated from. Just checking in for, to make sure that our needs are being met in that moment. And the other thing, there's several other things that I'll just talk about. Um, oftentimes I'll begin starting to write down some of the insights, some of the things that even may have been challenges for me. Because this is where the memories begin to come through us when we actually come off the cushion. And this is where the, the actual practice begins. You know, we have been practicing. We just did a very sweet 45-minute um, seated or stationary practice. And what will happen is we will then leave this space and another transition and another transition. We just have to keep our mindfulness, our awareness of where we are, how we're actually presenting ourselves to ourselves. I also try to remember the precepts that I took in the beginning of a retreat. I've talked about this a little bit with um, the groups that I've been in, and that is really honoring, especially the fifth precept, really being mindful about what you're putting into your body, be it food or be it stimulus, whatever that might be, just really being mindful of what that is, bringing your full awareness. It doesn't mean that you don't get back to the business at hand, but figuring out what your relationship with it is. At least for me, I've had to slow down when I've come out of retreat so that I can answer the emails and answer the things that are necessary as they arise, not just answer them all. And sometimes I'll take a little chunk at a time because if you take a hundred emails that came in at one time, it's just like, it's overwhelming. It's way too much. So just some suggestions as to how to actually walk through this with yourselves, this integration back into your lived life. And it's very different because we have been, you've been cooking, you've been with other partners in your home. But now that you have an intention in this whole week, hopefully you've set intentions as you have gone into your practice periods. And I've tried to continue what those intentions are for myself. It's not always easy, but I just keep trying to come back. You know, one of the things for me is just remembering. Remembering what the sweetness of this space that I have created, the container, not only with the Sangha, but with the container amongst, within myself. And it's a slow integration process. So allow yourself that. Nothing has to be done at breakneck speed. And those are just some things that I have done and it's worked for me. And, and I hope maybe you can take what you what might work for you. 
And the other thing I just want to speak to is something that was coming up for me as I was in this last practice period. I have been awestruck by the Dharma that I've received. I feel like I have learned so much from these teachers. At some level, sometimes my heart was broken all the way open with the truth and the vulnerability. And sometimes my heart was smiling from the laughter that I could receive from something someone said. But regardless of what, it all felt like Dharma rain falling down on me. It felt like I was the one being gifted. I felt like I was in that place of receptivity. It's been an incredible and somewhat anxious week, but I have been settled and with, this, with the team of teachers, I have felt a tremendous amount of support behind me. And isn't that one of the things we do want is feeling like somebody's, somebody's got your back. And I have felt this with the team, really have. And I thank you for that. And I felt it with the Sangha as well, with all of you. I haven't had an opportunity to meet with you all, but I have felt your intention to be here. 72 of you are in this room right now, 72 of us. 72 of us made the commitment on Tuesday. And here we are. I hold you are right here in my heart. It's opening wide, it's softening for you. I'm just gonna flip the page here so I can see all your faces. There's all 72 of you. Thank you, family, thank you. Go softly, go softly as you leave here. Okay. I'm out. <laughs> and we're all going to take turns, the teacher, teaching team, to offer some of our thoughts. Can you hear me? Yeah? Yeah? Great. Thanks, Nolly Way. And um, I... Uh, wanted to share what the um, my overall inspiration is as I come out of retreats where that vision is held more into um, my life where that vision is resting more in my capacity to sustain it. And it feels like there are these two invitations, and one is, how do I learn and honor the life that has been given to me? This particular expression of being queer, lesbian, feminist, 
Um, we're now moving into an elder eldership um, part of my life. How, how can I keep learning to honor, to respect, and to listen to this life and what it's calling me to? In that is joy. In that, it feels like so much of the vision is where, where to lift up joy and celebration and honoring and laughter. And, um, in all the different ways that we find that uh, capacity and potential in our life, whether it's through ceremony, that's one of the ways that I most love to lift up joy, or whether it's in playing dictionary, which is always a good laugh, or whatever it is. Um, having that as a deep inspiration and calling. And then the other inspiration is how do I understand the decolonization process of this being and how can I practice that? And for me, one of the um, uh, uh, obvious ways is to look at the relationship of ownership. In it's so clear in this country that, but in around the world too, increasingly, that when there is a relationship of ownership, by definition, there isn't caring. So when a company buys a piece of property, they can clear cut it, right? Some land because they own it. Or it's not been that long ago since men owned women and children. And in that relationship of ownership, there is the incapacity to also honor and respect. Or those who were, who were bought from Africa and, and many other relationships where different peoples have been owned whether it's described as slavery or something else, prostitution. And so in that inquiry comes, am I owning my body? Am I, do I feel like I'm the owner of my body? Because Nollywear offered us this beautiful invitation to be careful about what we take into our bodies. And I'm so aware that so much of how I relate to my body can be in the relationship of this is my body. And because I think it's my body, I can do whatever I want with it. Or maybe that's extreme. But it's a kind of underground relationship or underground sentiment. Somehow this is my body and it is isn't an independent expression of life that I'm learning to inhabit with more grace and honoring. Just like the myths, the creosite bushes that I live with outside here in the desert. And how do I relate to my thoughts? Do I own them? 
Yes. And as long as I own them, there isn't that spaciousness that we all as teachers been speaking to. Because ownership doesn't allow spaciousness. It doesn't allow agency. It doesn't allow us to see this is one expression of life coming in that has its life and will unfold in the ways that it does. I do not need to own my thoughts and opinions. And that is true of my emotions. Those feelings of, oh, what's the point? Why should I go on? Or, oh my God, life is so great. Whatever they are, great elation, great depression, great grief, great anger. The teaching of liberation and decolonization rests on this invitation for all of us, is to decolonize ownership. We could say in the more traditional Buddhist language that it is to challenge attachment, clinging, and ownership. Wanting and desiring, because those things are the dynamic of ownership. This is a thing I want, rather than this is an expression of life to learn about. And the beauty of that, the beauty of that, is the freedom that comes from decolonizing ownership. Because in that freedom comes love. So a lot of my practice, whether it's in a retreat or out of a retreat, is this commitment to challenge the dynamic of ownership. And I, I want to say one, uh, one more aspect of that, which is what I've inherited from my parents who inherited from their parents and from my cultures that I've lived in, my, from the cultures that I've lived in, those, the ancestral inheritance of wounding that is experienced as me and mine. This offering, the offerings that aren't the beautiful offerings of support and courage, but of wounding and trauma, that I don't have to own either. I can honor, I can work with, I can heal, but I don't have to own. May you enjoy the liberation process of decolonization and the lifting up of joy and delight. <laughs> Thank you, everyone.
think I'm next. Is that correct? Yes. Thank you, um, everyone. And I'm, I'm thanking you, you know, really because of your practice and the time that you have committed to just to being in your seat and being in the space, you know, particularly during this time where, you know, it's harder to hold space right now. Um, and, and these are the times I think that for me, I really have to like be held by communities of practice. Um, and to take this feeling, um, this feeling, this experience of being held um, out of the space, you know, it's one of the most important things that I've learned, you know, to always even though I may be physically alone, I can still bring my mind back to community and communities I'm a part of and to the experiences I've had that where I've been really held um, by community. Um, I just really, you know, really want to encourage you to, to really do the work, you know, to really commit to, you know, steady, regular practice. And, you know, we're going to need our practice more than ever now. You know, as we look um, into the world that we're going to be leaning into now, you know, because there's no more normal, there's no more going back to how things used to be. Um, there's only moving forward. And, to move forward, you really need to be held by the practice. And we, will, we will begin to see an even deeper, more profound expression of impermanence, of shifting and changing. And that becomes an experience of suffering if you don't need it practice, if you don't need it with open-heartedness and tenderness and vulnerability, um, if we don't need it with this willingness to show up to it, it just, it intensifies into something that sometimes becomes really unbearable. Um, and there are people who are going to be relying on us as well. And so we practice being with what arises and and stepping into the stream of, of impermanence, um, not just for ourselves, but for so many others around us. And, you know, I want to also emphasize the, you know, the, the the still radical revolutionary practice of compassion as well. When everything else fails, for me, compassion is what I, I always, it's, it's like my last tool in the tool belt, you know, in the toolbox, you know, the practice toolbox, when everything else fails, I always come back to compassion, you know, 
touching into the discomfort in my experience, remembering that others around me are also really experiencing discomfort as well, and just wanting all of us to be free from that. That the violence that I experience from others is not necessarily personally about me, but maybe it's really about other people's struggle with their own deep sense of suffering. And all the ways in which they've never been taught to take care of themselves and to tend to themselves and all the ways they've been scared to be themselves. You know, I don't, um, I don't, you know, believe in evil people. You know, I, don't, I think evil is an overused word and it's a very lazy word, particularly when we talk about people. I don't believe in, in evil people, but I do believe in people who are trapped in their suffering, you know, and then begin to make decisions based on the sense of being trapped by suffering, which can be violence and harm against themselves and others. I do believe in that. You know, and as I said before, I don't believe in being a good person either. You know, that goodness is something I'm trying to do in the moment. It's not who I am. Because I'm more interested in having the space to look at the ways in which I am not being good and using my practice to hold space for those expressions which are really the lack of virtue. I want to go there and hold space for that and and do what I can to make a choice to practice goodness in each moment. You know, there's so many people, you know, in our world, in our communities, people that we're connected to in a relationship with who aren't doing the work. And it's gonna become more and more apparent that they're not doing the work. And we're gonna have to make choices. And those choices don't have to come from a place of frustration. And anger can come again from a place of compassion. You know, this deep, deep empathy of saying, you know what, I see you and I'm holding you, you know, but I also have to have boundaries. Well, um, I think some this is you know some of the things that I've been hearing from folks you know from some of you I've been in group with you know where you know how do we take this basic wisdom that's arising for us and take it back out you know, back into our lives, back into our relationships, you know. Um, and again, just reemphasizing too, you know, it's just, at the end of the day, it's just about compassion for me, you know. It's always coming back over and over and over again. Grounding myself in compassion and making the choices that I need to make in order to be with the world and and to have the space, to have the boundaries, to take care of myself.
Yeah, I think sometimes the, the, the real authentic expression and practice of compassion and love, when we're doing it right, can take us to some really hard places. You know, that the practice of compassion and love aren't these easy, feel-good expressions, but they, they come with a kind of, there's a price that we pay. I know in my practice, so much of, of my work has been about learning how to hold You know, the pain, the, the discomfort that comes from actually practicing real authentic compassion and love for myself and for others and the ways in which sometimes I have to disappoint people in order to continue working towards my liberation. Know that, you know, there are so many people around us who actually aren't interested in being free. I honestly... Um, there's a choice that we have to make. So as, you know, as we prepare you know, to, to transition out of this space of retreat, I just, a blessing that I leave with you, is just this blessing of courage tenderness and openness, um, the courage to practice real authentic compassion and to show up for all the ways in which we have to lose things, to really embody compassion. I want to bless you with the practice of skillful mourning, you know, a kind of mourning where we're not being consumed by the heartbreak, but we're consuming the heartbreak. We're entering into the spacious, open relationship with the heartbreak, instead of the heartbreak entering into an open relationship that consumes us, you know, and swallows us in the process. To bring all of these practices to bear in the months and years to come, and this profound path of liberation for ourselves, for our collectives, for the world. And may you always have what you need to get free. May you always ask for help when you need it. Thank you, everyone. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. So in addition, <clears throat> in addition to what my colleagues have said, um, I just want to reiterate a couple things and then maybe point in a couple different directions. But I'll start with an observation, which is based on the 
interactions I had with my groups and hearing feedback from my teaching colleagues and the Spirit Rock support team and the questions and whatnot that we've gotten and your diligence and commitment to practice. I think the future of the Dharma is in excellent hands. Um, I'm inspired by your practice and your commitment. And just to underscore some things that uh, the um, Arena Noliwe and, and Lama Rod said, um, you, uh, you are probably way more tender than you realize right now, even if you felt like your retreat was full of uh, rage and anger, you are probably quite tender. So re just remembering to be kind to yourself in the ways that the other teachers have spoken. One of the uh, one of the things that came up in a group I had um, yesterday was like, what are the next steps? And um, you know, how do we go deeper into the Dharma? And um, this might have been your first retreat or your first longish retreat, or maybe it's your you know hundredth retreat. I don't know. But what are the next steps? How can we go deeper? Um, and so that's an interesting question. I think one of the good things about this time is that there are in fact, there's so much available to us just through online teaching. So we don't know how long that's gonna last or what's gonna go, you know, what's next with that. But there's a lot to pursue there, even with teachers maybe who don't live close to you or sanghas that are not in your backyard. Um, and again, I should have looked at this before I started talking about this, but one of the ways I went deeper into my practice was to take some study and practice classes. Spirit Rock has many of them. Um, I'm not sure what the status of them now, if they're running them online or not, but there's some dedicated practitioners programs, advanced practitioner programs that um, are certainly available um, uh, or, or hopefully will be, be available in the, in the future. Um, finding a local Sangha can also be good because then those are people who live in your neighborhood in your area and maybe you haven't checked into that yet and so maybe now is the time to do that. I know one of the ways we refer to how we learn, one of the ways the teachers refer to how we learn is that we often talk about our teacher. Well, um, I just have to say that uh, the person I'm in conflict with the most these days, I also refer to as my teacher and they don't have anything to do with the Dharma. So there are many teachers out there, but if you're looking for a Dharma teacher, my, uh, my experience is that a lot of them have websites and ways to connect with them and might be very open to working one-on-one -on -one with you. And so um, it can't hurt to ask if someone's available to meet with you periodically. So um, don't discount the value of that. You may, you may not feel inspired to do that at this time, but that's something you can do at, at a future date. One of the things I like to do and um, is do a self-retreat. Um, so, and I like a lot of support in my retreats, in my self-retreat. So I'll get together, I, I'll even look for recordings of day long. So I'll just do it again in my own living room on my own time in my own space. And um, 
which is probably not unlike what you were doing this week. So there's the possibility to continue that and to invite your friends along. Uh, once we can begin to stop socially distancing or when there's more opportunities for that, um, creating a sangha yourself or creating a sitting group for yourself can be quite valuable. Um, I think the Spirit Rock webpage also has information about how to start what's what we refer to as a Kalyanamita, which is a group of spiritual friends where you get together periodically and the focus can be whatever is part of your spiritual practice. But it's this, it's the, it's really, I think, one aspect of what Lama Rod is talking about, a way to find uh, people to support you in your practice. And um, I joined a Kalyanamita probably in like, I don't know, 1994. And those people are still, not all of them, some of them I've lost contact with, some have passed along, but many of them are still my good friends in the Dharma. And so um, there's lots of opportunities out there for that as well. The other thing I'll say is that if there was a practice here that you don't normally do, that's another avenue to explore, including movement. Um, and so um, there are probably things that you learned about yourself and your practice during the retreat period that can be sort of your next steps going forward. Um, so if you notice that it was valuable to do the guided um, movement meditations that Melvin offered, um, I actually don't know if Melvin does yoga uh, in the community or not, but I'm, there are many people who do with a Dharma-oriented focus. So that's another avenue to pursue, to really not leave the body and staying in the body out of your future because there's going to be a lot uh, calling for our attention over the next you know, 24 hours, week, days, months, years. And it's very easy, I know, especially for me to get very caught up in my head and caught up in the story and often sinking down into physical reality. So maybe it's the, maybe the body doesn't feel safe enough right now, but so maybe it's the chair you're in and just feel that connection to the chair. So don't, um, see if you can um, not get caught up in the flu, notice the currents in the culture that are trying to um, buffet you and see if you can um, use this experience on this retreat to remind you of the many ways that you can practice and support yourself. So I thank you all for your practice. It's been tremendously supportive and a, a huge blessing for me to be here with you. So thank you very much. So I was gonna share some um, resources as well. So thank you everyone um, and so several of you know that I'm a core teacher at East Bay Meditation Center. So Katie just asked, um, so we have a lot of movement classes. I, I'm not um, 
currently offering regular community classes. Coming into this retreat, I had a lot of attachment aversion. So the same, you know, same coin, different side and was really um, attached to the either or of, I can't teach yoga on, on, on Zoom, you know, and, and I can only lead folks through and so the truth is in the both and yeah so I was looking where is truth in that and that there is something um, about um, dominator culture or western karma buddhism or whatever kind of phrase that has baked in really deep the duality of mind and body. <laughs> um, and so where I was getting stuck um, was how to communicate that. And as a yoga teacher, that, that happens in the reciprocity in the room, in the energies that we're saving I and mean, that we're sharing with each other. And that otherwise there's this default of like, okay, the mind is here. And even saying that the mind is up here, you know, is not, not realistic in my opinion. And so that the, um, so that I, I was coming into the retreat with that and, um, and then attachment to being on the land, you know, at Spirit Rock, which is such a privilege. During the stationary practice, the practice period earlier on today, I had the vision for those of you that have been at Spirit Rock of walking up. And if you want to have that picture in your head, if you've been there, but I'll describe it walking up the driveway. And there's that gate that says retreatants only past this point. And then there's a little roundabout with that beautiful, like two, three inch, I'm three feet diameter um, kind of mandala, the wheel that has the eightfold path on it. And I was, I would always do that as a part, as I'm going on retreat and look, I used to spin it, but then it was so delicate. <laughs> and then I would just look to see, oh, which eightfold path is on there. And so I was reminded that, you know, it's all part of our our this meditation practice of, you know, not just focusing on the the mindfulness, you know, and the concentration and those, but it's a whole deal. And um, and that I really appreciate um, that retreats at Spirit Rock are including movement because that's a definite way to. And like any practice, you can take the shortcut and bliss out and just completely, you know, be in the high of things. But that the, but that integration, I think, is so um, um, available to each of us. Um, and so that's what I was reminded about on this retreat. And so healed um, by on this retreat is that even through this technology that um, we were able, I felt really like um, healed. And I use the word healed as synonymous to whole. 
and that that could still happen. And and that's uh, a deep bow from my heart to each of you, um, because I, I know s- several of you personally, and then to touch into that uh, liberation that's always present. It's always available. It's and it's our natural inclination, you know, and it's our our calling and our birthright. And and as we've been talking about, as Noliwe has the T-shirt on of our being our ancestors' wildest dreams. They've they've um, you know, and our future ancestors. This is what this is what we what we want and need for each other. I think we're on the Northern Hemisphere. So this is autumn. And so it's a time of harvest. So I'm thinking of what I'm harvesting from this, from my colleagues here. And one thing Lama Rod said about, I'm okay, I'm okay. And having that be the, the mantra. And, and while I was leading the movement and I'm so happy we have the recordings I'm going to offer some direct kind of tangible things is if you'd like watch the recordings and like Noliwe said, write down like whatever postures or movement reminds you or gives you that space. And so much of the practice, we were like on the ground and connected to the earth because when you do that, it it is this reminder that I'm okay, you know, and, and, um, for me a lot, like if I'm just laying there and sometimes I do it in my bed, you know, when I don't have the energy to get out of the bed, but definitely like connecting physically um, to the earth and not get stuck in that duality again, that we are separate from the earth because we're not, we're, it's all, yeah, we're all interdependent, interconnected. Um, and, um, you know, and I was really moved, Katie, yesterday with you talking about um, whiteness and white supremacy. And so coming back to this concept of harvest, like just how amazing the work that we've done um, just as a community of of alphabet. That's what we say at East Bay Meditation Center, the whole LGBTQ, GNC, SGL. And that harvesting like really really i think we only need two things for the practice and to know that we're doing fine and this is what arena pointed to was joy as long as you're finding joy and interest then you're doing fine so joy and interest in the practice and you're doing fine and because otherwise we get stuck in in the not enoughness right um, and as Lama Rod said the compassion is so important but it's not easy <laughs> it means suffering with like and it's counterintuitive that we would sit with our suffering and so like Lama Rod was saying and Katie and everyone's been saying is finding the community the Sangha is essential the whole of the holy life is what the Buddha said. Okay, so I deeply, deeply bow to each of you and um, thank you.
Thank you for being part of Sangha. Thank you for your practice. So we are now going to move into um, uh, into our breakout groups, and the breakout groups will be mixed. And Spirit Rock um, will give us those directions. Yes, and and we have a guiding question for them as well, right? Yes. Thanks, Katie, which is, what are you taking away with you from this retreat? That's and one of the questions to share. Yes. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, Katie. Oh, I, uh, yes, we had a second question as well, which is, what are, what are we going to leave here? Yeah. Great, yes. What are you leaving here and what are you taking away? And um, so each group, each group will be, um, well, uh, hold the timing so that everyone has, depending on how many people are in your group, that everyone has equal time to share so that maybe you can um, ask, uh, offer one of you to be a timekeeper for each group because I know that when we've been on retreat sometimes we have no idea we're in a different time zone and so it's good to have um, a timekeeper for each group and um, uh, to make sure that everyone has the same opportunity to speak and the groups will be from uh, 10.45 we're running just a little late 10.45 to 11.20 and there's a break then from 11.20 to 11.30. So if you need to, you can go into that break a little. And then we come back into the main room at 11.30. And Melvin will lead us in a little bit of movement to support us embodying again. And, and I know we're running a little over time, but I got a question from a yogi. So I just want to, there's a question about clarifying what leaving here means. Yes, um, and so uh, the question said, what do we want to release and let go of? Yes, um, is some, did something come right. up on the retreat that you noticed was um, you know, a, a frenemy that you'd love to let go of? Um, you, know, you may not be able to, but the, to cultivate that intention and, and, and to have fun with it, play with it, see what happens, see what comes up. Thank you. So I, I don't see Maria Christina. Christina. Hi, folks. There you are. <laughs> so I'm having a little technology dukkha. 
Just one moment. I was actually kicked out of the room and missed the questions. So okay. if one of the teachers wouldn't mind putting it in the chat, and I will make sure that they get sent to the breakout rooms. Great. Um, one note, just in case you're also having Duca, note your room number, just in case you get bounced out. I'll be in the main hall and I will send you back to the room. Have a little patience um, in this process. And I lost some of the settings. So if you don't, if you texted me and said you didn't want to be, chatted me and said you didn't want to be in a room, just don't accept the invitation so I can get everyone out. Uh, Arena, could you please tell me how many minutes you wanted folks in breakout? So we wanted um, uh, 10, 40, we wanted 30, 40 minutes. Four, Four zero? Minutes. Four, zero. Four, zero minutes. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.